aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. What a headline this is going to make. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes back to the Daytona International Speedway, leading the pack, coming to the line. He will win the Pepsi 400. This win is probably, this win is definitely the biggest of my career. I love coming to Daytona. I always came here as a little kid and just walked into place with my jaw dragging the ground. And, uh... To win here, uh, especially under the circumstances, it really means a lot. It's really almost overwhelming. I don't really know how I'm going to top it. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Wheelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry. Trusted to perform since 1952 by Xfinity XFi. Internet that's more than just fast. Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. And by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you for a NASCAR Hall of Fame edition of NASCAR Live. We're going to look ahead on today's show to Friday night's Hall of Fame ceremony by counting down Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s top victories. We're also going to look at the careers of Hall of Famers Mike Stefanik and Red Farmer as well. We're going to take a look back at Dale Jr.'s final victory in the Daytona 500 in our Daytona 500 flashback. Plus, we're also going to look ahead to 2022 with Stuart Haas Racing. Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, Eric Almarola are all going to stop by on the show, plus a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here to get us going with the latest in headlines. Kyle, what do you have for us? Mike, we are less than three weeks away from the clash at the L.A. Coliseum, and NASCAR has added more star power to the event. It was announced this week that superstar rapper Ice Cube will perform during the race on February 6th. Ice Cube joins Pitbull, who will be performing during the pre-race festivities. The preliminary entry list for the event was also released with all 36 charter teams heading out to L.A. That list includes Ryan Priest, who will be behind the wheel of one of Rick Ware Racing's entries. Of the 36 cars, 23 will make the main event following heat races. And teams are continuing to finalize their 2022 plans, and Sam Hunt Racing in the NASCAR Xfinity Series made their announcements last week. The week started with Ryan Truex, who will make his return to the series in the season opening event in Daytona. Truex spoke last week about the opportunity. 
always been a big fan of him and what he's done with this race team. You know, really just went out and made it happen, you know, on his own. As as a guy, you know, same age as me, it's really impressive to see. You know, we always kind of talked and joked around. It'd be cool if we could get a chance to race together. And he came to me and said, let's, let's try to make something happen for Daytona. I said, let's do it. The announcements didn't stop there for Sam Hunt Racing, as they also announced that Jeffrey Earnhardt will pilot the number 26 Toyota for multiple races this season. The full schedule for Earnhardt will be announced at a later date. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll hear from 2014 NASCAR Cup Series champion Kevin Harvick. Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Kevin Harvick's 2021 was viewed as a letdown to most. He scored nine wins in 2020, and the four-car didn't even find victory lane at all last year. The team was scrappy enough to still get a fifth-place finish in points. We sat down with Kevin this morning to discuss last year, the next-gen car, and more. Kevin, when we look back at last year, obviously the, the, the no wins, fifth in the points, a lot of strong runs. What, what, what do you bring out of last year? What, a, what, 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 what was the good that came out of last year with you guys working through some of the things you did? Yeah, I think for our team in general, I think it was probably the best year we've had as a group working together just because of the fact that we had so many deficiencies to work through from you know the the race car itself and the things that we'd kind of created as a team to kind of work backwards and and but you still had to go to the racetrack and and show up and race and and so you know i think our team did a great job of of being able to get good finishes and still keep us competitive and keep us in the playoffs and uh, be competitive by the time we got to the end of the year uh, in the playoffs obviously we would have rather you know won a race but you know I think as as you look at uh, the last 10 weeks I think our, our team did a great job and wound up um, the same in the points as we did the year that we won nine races so I don't know what that says about our point system but zero wins to nine wins finish fifth in the points when you have a, a trying time like this, teams can go one of two directions. What does it mean to you that you guys pulled the rope in the same direction? Because you've seen teams, this things start to go off the rails. They can go off the rails in a hurry. Mm-hmm. What does that say about you, you, Rodney, the leadership that you guys have there? Yeah, well, I think our experience together helped the communication. And, and, you know, it's not like we hadn't been through times where we had struggled or not won races or any, any of those things in between. Um, so... You know, you just have to work through it. It is what it is. It's you can't you can't make the situation worse on yourself than what it what it actually is. So um, our guys did a great job of, of communicating and, and being able to uh, do that allowed us to to work through things and progress and, and put ourselves in a position to at least have a chance as as we got towards the last ten weeks of the season and, and um, performed well and, and wound up you know having a, having a decent decent year. 
The good news is you whittle away on it. You figure the race car out. You go forward. You get yourself competitive at the end of the year, and now we throw everything away. Yeah. Uh, what do you? What can you tell me about this new race car? The characteristics of it. What? T- tell me about the new car. Nothing other than it's new. I can't tell you any of the characteristics because of the fact that, um, you know, when I drove it last at, at the Charlotte Oval, the rules were different. So, you know, I think as as we progress through the winter, you know, so much of this has been very beneficial for the sport and for the rules, but it's been not very beneficial for the drivers and the teams because of the fact that, you know, most of what we did was really irrelevant, uh, especially when it comes to the to the bigger ovals, um, you know, with with how we tested. So I'm going to Phoenix uh, to, to do the test. So that I think that will be very relevant uh, as, as we go through the first part of the season. And, you know, now that the rules package is kind of settled in, uh, Daytona was a was a good test and, and you know, seeing how the cars drove. And, and I think as we go to Phoenix and understanding uh, how they drive and start to develop those characteristics. And um, but I still think that, you, you know, for, for me, I have zero expectations as to how this is going to go. Um, good or bad, just because of the fact I, I want to be as numb to the situation as possible so that you have a very open mind of being able to divert, um, not get caught up in one week, um, because next week can be different. Next week they could say the rules are different. They could say that you know Goodyear's going to constantly evolve the tires. So it's going to be a constant evolution. Um, and I think in this particular situation, you either evolve or die, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's just, um, you know, going to be a nature of the beast for the next year. Is that a challenge you really like? Well, I think there's a lot of unknown, and I think that plays to the strength of our team, you know, kind of like it did last year, right? You know, you can work through that adversity, um, you know, working through those unknowns, and, and there's just going to be some weeks where whatever it is, you know, you have to work through and you just have to survive, and, and sometimes that survival racing really fits what we do. And, you know, I think as, as you go through the first part of the year, you're going to have situations where you just have to survive and figure it out and, and go from there. Daytona 500 memory that stands out to you? Yeah, you know, I think for obviously for, for me, winning the 500 in, in 07 was was the one that, that sticks out. I can, you know, I think last year, you know, having a chance to win there and everybody crashing and everything that happened towards the end of the race, you you know, you'd hope that the outcome was, was a little bit different. Having driven into victory lane at the Daytona 500 makes you want to drive back into it just because of the fact that you understand you know how much comes with winning the with the Daytona 500 and what it means to a season, right? And makes your makes your whole year uh, all in all in one one moment. So for sure, the winning the 500 definitely the the, the proudest moment. Keelan's racing. What has that been like? As you've you know, it's been a couple of years now. You've been doing it. Have you you stood back. What's that been like for you? It depends on the day. <laughs> And I think even he knows this, you know, that the expectation of, of how it should go is is based upon what we do here and what you do on the cup side and, and the things that you see and the things that you expect are really to that same level. But on the flip side of that, you also have to remember he's nine and, you know, you're racing go-karts. And, and so finding that balance for me is tough because I've never raced, especially over the last 20 years, I haven't raced without having the expectation to go out and win to figure it out, to be organized, and all those all those things that, that come with, with running a race team at, at this particular level kind of ruins the way that you race at those levels because of the fact that that's the expectation. So um, so we push him hard, and, you know, I think for, for us, you know, COVID has changed so much. So, you know, he goes to school at home now, and, you know, we go to the racetrack on the weekends, and, you know, balancing all that with all the racing that I do and the things that, that we do on the weekends here is, is, is different this year, but it has, you know, only been one day a week in, in the past. So you've been there 
been there a lot and seen a lot of things and seen the evolution of, of how he's progressed. So um, cart racing is great. You know, I think as, as you look at cart racing, it's it's super healthy uh, right now because of COVID and, and the, you know, just the, the amount of people that are out racing. I think as a family, you know, it's a great sport because you can kind of seclude yourself, but you're also with, a, you know, a lot of people that, that want to do the same thing. And, and so the numbers of, of go-kart racing in general are way up from, from how they had been, you know, five years ago. So uh, it's very competitive. And, you know, I think that's that's really what you want the most of is, is to find a competitive en- environment that will teach him the most because you don't want to be able to win every week. You want to be able to, have, you know, kind of get your your face pounded in the ground every once in a while so that you realize that it's not as not that easy. And, you know, I think that's those are good lessons to learn. But it's been it's been fun to and, and a balancing act to, uh, to to be able to do that every week. I saw an Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or some post of you and him side by side in Hunt Brothers uniforms doing photo shoots. Yeah. What's what what's that aspect of it been like? You know, I mean, he wants to sit in the cart and go fast, but the, the other aspect, what's that been like? I think that aspect is as, as important as being able to drive the car fast because I think a lot of the a lot of the kids in today's environment don't, you know, they, they want to live the dream, but they don't realize what the dream consists of. And, you know, I think in, in today's world, you have to be as good on the relationships and marketing and everything that comes with the sport um, and understand all that so that you can deal with it and be good at it. Being well-educated, being able to understand the financial aspect, the marketing aspect, and everything that, that comes with this sport is important. So uh, doing those activities, you know, is, is more than just showing up with Dad. And, and you know, the, the, the lessons and the things that you hear and learn are, are important. Where do you go with them next? You've talked a lot about karting racing, but, but I know you've tested a Legends car and that sort of thing. How do you navigate those waters over the next three or four years? Yeah, so, you know, I love the Legends car. Um, you know, I think they're a little bit behind the times uh, on the age limits and, and things compared to go-kart racing uh, mm-hmm. just because of the fact that uh, he has to be 12 to, to race the Legends car and in um, all the INEX stuff. Um, you know, you can you can pretty much be done with go-karts by the time you're 14. and, and But, you know, you can also be in a car uh, when you're 12, 13 years old, so it almost takes the Legends car out of play. Uh, there are a few places he can race it. Uh, just because of the fact that, um, you know, it's not INEX sanctioned. So, you know, I think as, as you look at the Legends car in general, it's exact opposite of what he's doing now. It has a lot of power, doesn't have a very, you know, you know, a lot of grip. And so it teaches you a lot of, you know, throttle control and car control, a lot of good things that, that can come with that. And I, we, we kind of wanted to do that to introduce him to the ovals. And, and if you can drive that thing on an oval, you're, you're doing pretty good. So... Um, so yeah, you know, I, I love the Legends car, but I, I don't know that he'll actually race it that much, um, you know, unless something changes with the age limits. Coming up, we'll look back at Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s 2014 Daytona 500 win. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like sixth grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. 
Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Dale Earnhardt Jr. first lifted the Harley J. Earl Trophy back in 2004. That's the trophy you get by winning the Daytona 500. Now, despite being a super speedway ace, the Great American Race eluded him for a decade. That was until 2014. Let's take a look back at the Great American Race in this week's Daytona 500 flashback. As the 2014 season drew near, there was a lot of new for NASCAR. That season marked the first year of the knockout playoff format where four drivers would race for the championship at Homestead in November. But the season would start as usual on the high banks of Daytona International Speedway as the eyes of the racing world turned to the 56th annual Daytona 500. That marked the first race of Austin Dillon's Cup Series rookie season and the return of the three-car to the Cup Series for the first time since Dale Earnhardt's death in 2001. Dillon's year got off to a great start when he won the pole, and the three-car led the field to the green flag. The lights are off on the pace car as it makes its way down off of turn number four and make that gradual swing down onto pit road, leaving the field in the controls of Austin Dillon. For the start of the 56th running of the Daytona 500, here is MRN Joe Moore. The American ethanol green flag is in the air. Austin Dillon on the gas. Matt Kenseth alongside since Martin Truex went to the rear. They are dead even, building up speed. Everyone two by two as they climb the banking of turn one. Dillon led the opening lap, but that would be the only lap he would lead on the day. There were two cautions early in the going, one for a Kyle Larson spin and another on lap 39 when Martin Truex Jr.'s engine expired. Trouble turn number two. Kyle Larson is around again. Problems on the right rear corner of the target Chevrolet. Right rear tire went down almost certainly as a result of the damage on the right side of that car. He does a long solo spin, refires, and drives away. While under caution for the Truex incident, the skies opened and the red flag flew from the starter stand because of rain. It looked like racing might be done for the day. But NASCAR was patient, and despite a prolonged delay of 6 hours and 22 minutes, the race resumed under the lights. And here comes the field with Kyle Busch on the outside, Casey Kane on the inside. The pace car goes to pit road. We're about to see the American ethanol green flag waving again at Daytona. It's out, and they're coming up to speed, side by side across the line, going through the trioval, heading up to turn number one. No one steps out yet. After the restart, a number of drivers swapped the lead, with Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, and Paul Menard taking turns at the front of the pack. The stands then came to life on lap 131 when Dale Earnhardt Jr. went to the point for the first time in the race. Jr. goes topside, Casey King to the bottom, Carl Edwards, Kyle Busch stuck in the middle, Eric Almarola in the mix as well. And that is the battle for the race lead. Here they come once again. You've got Carl Edwards right there. He had the race lead last lap. Forget about it. He's back in fourth. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson back up front. 14 laps after Jr. took the lead, the big one came. Side by side, race four, second. Edwards to the inside of the racetrack. He will take that spot away. The lap car of Kyle Busch next in line to the inside of Carl Edwards, who leads the outside lane. Now there's trouble. Couple of cars get together. Eric Almarola, Brian Scott, Austin Dillon becomes involved. Danica Patrick as they continue to crash on the front stretch. After the big one, Junior seemed to be in control of the race, with Greg Biffle looking like he would be the biggest threat to the 88 car. On lap 194, a caution flew that would set up a thrilling final restart and a battle between Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, and Denny Hamlin. 
as the race went back to green. Junior jumped ahead of Gordon and was able to stay in front of what would become chaos in turn four of the final lap. Dale Earnhardt Jr. at the bottom of the racetrack, throws the block topside, throws the block downstairs. Dale Earnhardt Jr. leads to three. There comes Brad Keselowski in the outside lane. Denny Hamlin to the bottom. They're three wide further back, but at the bottom of the racetrack, it is all Dale Earnhardt Jr. as they crash now off turn four. Here they come, racing back to the start-finish line. Dale Earnhardt Jr. throws the block on Denny Hamlin. Across the line he comes, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. has won the Daytona 500 for the second time in his career. We had a, enough car to battle them off all night long, and, and if they took the lead, we could grab it back pretty quickly. We had a real fast car, and uh, got to thank Steve Latart, uh, Mr. Hendrick, all this team that put this car together. Uh, when you come down here and race, uh, the car does most of the work, and uh, these guys deserve a lot of credit for how good a piece they had out there tonight. That trip to victory lane was Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s second and final time lifting the Harley J. Earl Trophy. It marked the start of a memorable season for Jr. and a noteworthy first year with the knockout playoff format. Oh, what great memories. You'll be able to listen to that race in its entirety later this week on MRN's Classic Races. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Did that victory make our list of Dale Jr.'s top five victories? We'll find out next. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. We're chatting about Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's going to be enshrined into the NASCAR Hall of Fame this Friday night. And for decades, Jr. was the sport's most popular driver and delivered many memorable moments. Let's take a look back at his top five career wins. As Dale Earnhardt Jr. takes his rightful spot in the NASCAR Hall of Fame on Friday night, it is time to look back at some of the best moments of his career. Let's relive his top five victories. Number five. Jr. has never hidden how much he loves short track racing. In retirement, he's gone back to race short tracks in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. One trophy that seemed to elude Earnhardt was a Martinsville grandfather clock. That was until the fall of 2014. Two car length advantage for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Trying to be the chase buster at Martinsville. Down the back straightaway. Checkered flag ready to fly. It's Earnhardt in turn three. Runner up no more at Martinsville. Dale Earnhardt Jr. off to or off turn number four for the final time. And he has won here at the Martinsville Speedway. He gets the win over Jeff Gordon, Ryan Newman, Tony Stewart, and Joey Logano, a grandfather clock on its way for Dale Earnhardt Jr. I came to here. I came here since the early 80s as a kid. Never missed a lot of races here. Always wanted to win. I grew up in a house with a grandfather clock in it from this place, and I always wanted one. I get to take one home today. Number four. Everyone loves a good streak. Domination transcends sports and into the mainstream. Dale Jr. achieved dominance only a select few have in the history of NASCAR when he won his fourth straight race at Talladega in the spring of 2003. But it's Dale Jr. leading the field off of turn four. The Budweiser Chevrolet comes into the trial, works his way to the start-finish line, going for four in a row at Talladega. He makes it happen, winning the Aaron's 499. Dale Jr., the winner. Oh, it's big. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, broke Buddy Baker's record. Uh, only driver to win four here. And ain't too many just done, you know, won four races, period. So, uh... 
we're stepping into some uh, pretty big shoes, and I'm real proud of it. I mean, just to come down here and down here and have the opportunity to win four in a row was big enough. And number three, Earnhardt Jr. didn't have to wait long to find victory lane in the NASCAR Cup Series, scoring two checkered flags early in his rookie year. The highest profile victory of his rookie season, though, came at the Charlotte Motor Speedway when he chased down then defending series champion Dale Jarrett and his dad in the final laps before celebrating in victory lane with his father and car owner. There's nothing left but the checkers. The fans are going absolutely crazy. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes to the checkered flag and wins the 2000 running of the Winston. He restarted in 10th position with eight laps to go. And the four fresh tires turned out to be the trick. He stormed through the field, passing Dale Jarrett, coming to the white flag to score the victory. Yeah, we uh, we got lucky. We put on tires, and I thought I, I didn't have a chance to beat them with two tires. So I said, we got to put on four tires. We didn't come here to run second or third. We came here to win, and, and that's the only way we was going to do it. We come here, put on four tires, took a little wedge out of that thing with the turning, got on around there, and I knew we just eat them up, man. And uh, I was, I was really surprised I was up there racing. I thought I could catch Jarrett, and I looked in my mirror, and here comes this red thing that met me, and <laughs> I couldn't believe he was coming as fast as I knew he'd got tires and all, but, man, here he come, and he run us down, and pay, And I just I knew I just needed to let him go on because he was faster than me. I thought I could go up there with him and get catch Jarrett and get by him too, and maybe him and Jarrett get to racing, but he drove by Jarrett too like he drove by me. <laughs> Number two. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will always be associated with super speedway racing. He was one of the very best to ever do it, and the marquee race in the sport is raced on the high banks of Daytona International Speedway. Earnhardt Jr. won the biggest race in the sport when he took the checkered flag in the 2004 Daytona 500. Dale Earnhardt Jr. leads to turn three. Everybody on their feet in Daytona. Dale Earnhardt Jr. now with a three-car length advantage over Tony Stewart. Dale Earnhardt Jr. looking for the checkers. Coming off turn four to the line to settle the Daytona 500. Dale Earnhardt Jr. pulls down to the start-finish line. He will win the 46th running of the Great American Race. I'm happy as hell to win the Daytona 500, and I'm glad I got to race my buddy Tony Stewart for the win. I'm glad Michael's okay. That was a scary-looking accident, and uh, this has got to be the greatest day of my life. Number one. It is hard to top a victory in the great American race, but number one on this list isn't just the biggest moment of Junior's career. It stands the test of time as one of the best moments in the history of the sport. In July of 2001, the sport returned to Daytona for the first time since losing Dale Earnhardt Sr. on the final lap of the Daytona 500. Earnhardt Jr. had some help from a teammate and lessons learned from his father to score one of the most memorable victories ever. Final time to the back straightaway. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Michael Waltrip rolls reverse from the way they ran down the back straightaway on the final lap in February. They go nose to tail. Sadler and Labonte side by side for third. It's Earnhardt in a turn three. Earnhardt is your leader. Michael Waltrip is second, and the battle is side by side for third. But here comes Dale Earnhardt Jr. He'll lead off turn four. What a headline this is going to make. Dale Earnhardt Jr. comes back to the Daytona International Speedway, leading the pack, coming to the line. He will win the Pepsi. 400. Michael Waltrip, his teammate, comes in second. Elliot Sadler with his career best, other than his win at Bristol, finishes in third. Ward Burton fourth, and Bobby Labonte is fifth. Amazing the finish here at Daytona in the Pepsi 400. This win is probably, this win is definitely the biggest of my career. 
I love coming to Daytona. I always came here as a little kid and just walked into place with my jaw dragging the ground. And uh, to win here, uh, especially under the circumstances, it really means a lot. It's really almost overwhelming. I don't really know how I'm going to top it. We will relive these memories and more when Dale Earnhardt Jr. is officially enshrined into the NASCAR Hall of Fame later this week. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, Eric Almarola will join us. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Eric Almarola surprised a lot of folks last week when he announced that 2022 would be his final full-time season in the NASCAR Cup Series. Our Steve Post sat down with Eric to talk about that decision and more. Eric Almarola joins us here on Motor Racing Network. Eric, obviously the big story coming into this season is uh, your final season. Describe the process to get to the announcement that uh, this was going to be your final trip around the tour. Man, it was not an easy process um, and not an easy decision, but it was the decision that uh, I prayed a lot about and spent many nights laying in bed talking with my wife about, and it was just the decision that felt right it just feels right knowing that my kids are getting into you know their their adolescence and and getting closer and closer to being teenagers and I don't want to miss it and me continuing to chase my dreams and traveling across the country 40 weeks a year driving race cars and and doing what I love is such a huge sacrifice for my wife and for my kids and I just I finally came to the the conclusion for me and my place where I'm at right now is that it's just not fair. It's not fair to them to continue the lifestyle that we live. Um, And and while it has many benefits, um, it's financially very rewarding. It takes us all over the country and we get to have some really awesome experiences. And I get to drive a race car for a living, which is probably one of the coolest jobs in the world. but I miss out on a lot of normal things, too. And, and that is a, a huge part of the decision-making process is that, quite honestly, there's more, more days than not that I wish I was just normal. I wish I was home on a Saturday or Sunday morning uh, with my family. I wish I was getting up to go to the ballpark with my, with my son. I wish I was there on a Saturday afternoon to watch my daughter ride her horse. Um, or, you know, just be involved. And when they start having friends over or sleepovers on the weekends, I want to be there. I want to be grilling out on the grill on the back deck and, and watching the kids swim in the pool. And, like, I want to be, be present. I want to be involved. Did you get a little bit about that? Did you get a little bit of that with the compressed COVID schedule when we were just flying in for race day and everything? Did you did did you get a little bit more of that? And, and did that yeah. impact that what what you saw it firsthand? Did that impact that? Yes, it did. It certainly did. I spent way more time at home and was way more involved. And, and it got to where it was like, man, this is pretty nice, you know, to be home on a Saturday morning and um, get up and and have coffee and and hang out with my family and kind of have a leisure Saturday morning uh, before catching a plane and flying to wherever we were going racing that weekend. That was nice. And and I did. I I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed it enough to where it started the process of thinking like, all right, well, what will life look like, you know, when I'm done racing? 
race car drivers to your career, you talked about chasing your dream. Race car drivers, are, you, you, there's a degree of it you have to be just selfish. Mm-hmm. You absolutely. have to be absolutely. The process to become unselfish, I mean, I, I think probably a, a, a good wife and a kid will, will get you there. Is that, <laughs> is that a fair statement? I would say so, yeah. I mean, I... I... Um, I think my faith has a lot to do with it as well. Um, just, you know, knowing that life is not all about me. Um, but at the same time, you know, kids for me, and it affects everybody differently. Uh, some people try and hold on for dear life to hold on to their own identity and, and still chase and do the things that they want to do. Um, and I have done that, but I'm at a place now in my life to where I'm excited about living a life with my family and living a life for my wife and for my kids. And they have they have followed me around the country for my kids' entire lives, right? Like I was cup racing already uh, when when both my kids were born. So they don't know anything any different. All they know is that their life revolves around dad's schedule. Um, you know, we, we try and plan and schedule their activities around what I have going on, my sponsorship commitments, my racing schedule commitments, all those things. And the same for my wife. My wife has made huge sacrifices um, for our family in general so that I can go and, and chase my dreams. And so, yeah, when I when I look ahead, um, I I do have quite the, the learning curve ahead of me on, on everything not revolving around me and my schedule and, and all of those things. You enter this season with a new crew chief, um, Drew Blickensdurfer. Um, any history with Drew? Describe. Yeah. You, just- yeah, Drew and I worked together for a short little stint at RPM, um, and it was good. Yeah, we, we didn't have all the, the resources and things that we needed um, at RPM at the time, but we still, I felt like, overachieved. I felt like we ran better than the equipment we had, and, and, and I felt like we did a great job of, of getting the most out of what we had and so I, I think drew is very talented and i think he's gonna be a great addition to our race team and then moving booga into the managerial role that he's in and him having more of a holistic approach to the organization and taking his expertise in, in the cars and the preparation and the engineering and plugging that in across the board for our entire shop I think that's going to be a big deal for our entire organization. I think he is going to really move the needle um, in this new role that he's been given, and uh, we're counting on him. We, we've got uh, we've got a lot of faith in him, in his abilities, and his leadership, and his in his smarts. I mean, he's a, Booga is a very very smart, talented guy uh, when it comes to figuring out how to make race cars go fast. So having him in a position um, to make our entire organization better is going to be great. Finally, um, this new generation race car. What can what can you tell me about the car? What what stands out to you different? What what stands out to you about this car? Man, just that everything is different. The approach to the car is different. The the way that the car kind of steers and drives and handles and it's all different. The way that the crew guys work on the car, uh, the way that they set them up, the way that they just approach uh the engineering side of the car it's all very very different from what we've been doing for the last umpteen years um so when yeah when when i look at this season it gets me kind of excited really about the the land of the unknown and just the opportunity that's out there for everybody to try and be the ones to figure it out first 
Coming up, we'll sit down with Almarola's teammate, Chase Briscoe. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. There is a lot of new things for Chase Briscoe in 2021. The Indiana driver raced full-time in the Cup Series for the first time, and he also became a father. We sat down with Chase to discuss where he's at headed into his second cup season and his experience at last week's Chili Bowl. The checkered flag is out, and for the ninth time this season, Chase Briscoe is a winner. Chase Briscoe joins us here on Motor Racing Network. Uh, Chase, coming off rookie season of NASCAR, what types of things uh, did you learn? What types of things that uh, uh, are you, you, you looking to apply to your second season? Well, I feel like a lot of the stuff I learned last year obviously won't apply to, to this coming year. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, learn how a lot of them guys race and kind of the, the characteristics of cup racing. And, you know, the biggest thing is just how on it you have to be. You know, you, you can do everything right on a cup Sunday and it's still struggle to run 15 sometimes. So just uh, I felt like learning kind of how those races play out, just how, how every little thing matters on the cup side, whether it's pit road restarts, you know, getting on and off pit road for a green flag stop. You know, all those things really add up in, in the cup race where, you know, on, on the truck races and Xfinity stuff, you could kind of be a little lax on those areas and, and still be okay where on the cup side it takes every little detail to, uh, you know, obviously be up front. How are you with the patience of dealing with this? When you say you do everything right, you know, racers, when you climb the ladder, you're used to winning races. You're used to, you say you can do everything right and, and, and maybe get a top 15 finish. How are you, how do you process all of that? Yeah, it's tough for sure. You know, especially, you know, when you can get away with those things in the in the lower series and still win races. And then you come to, to the cup side and you can do those things right and still run 20th. It's definitely you know, aggravating at times, but I do think it makes it very rewarding whenever it does go right. I think that's the biggest thing for me on the cup side that I learned was just how it takes everything. It takes the pit crew, it takes the car, it takes the driver, it takes all those things where, you know, in the, in the Xfinity series, for example, we could be off as a, as a car even and still be okay. Where on the cup side, you can have a perfect race car and, and you might only be able to finish 10th place. Like it, it just takes every little detail and uh, you got to really capitalize on those days where you have a really good car because it's it's not every week that you're going to have a car capable of running on the cup side so for me that was the biggest thing is whenever we had a car capable of running up front trying to really maximize that and uh you know that's challenging coming into a new series and kind of struggling for a while so much change coming into this year um the benefit of same crew chief with johnny klausmeyer and it, and, it, and at least having familiarity with the team and with the crew chief and that sort of thing how important is that going to be as you guys tackle this new project yeah it's going to be big i think you know just having that that chemistry and and already knowing you know my lingo his lingo all those things will help you know i've only been with the same crew chief twice in my entire career and, and the, the only other time that was I was with richard boswell in the xfinity series so you know, I feel like that's been good for me every time I've, I've went back-to-back with the same guy. So hopefully it'll be the same with, with Johnny this year. You know, everything we learned last year won't necessarily apply for this coming year. But just knowing kind of what I look for in that feel, I, I look for in the race car, you know, Johnny has that understanding. So, you know, he'll he'll know, you know, just by the tone of my voice, you know, how serious I am about some things. And just having that, I think understanding will be big for us. What stands out characteristic-wise of this new race car? What's the biggest difference? What's the biggest challenge? What stands out about this car? 
Yeah, I think for me is just how you can drive the car way harder, but that that edge that we could run on before is a lot smaller. You know, the, the older car you could you could run it on the edge, but that edge was so big. You know, there's just a really big window. Where now this new car, the window is so small. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing for me that stands out is just there's not as much wiggle room. You know, you're right on that edge, and then you're over it, and, and there's no no saving it. So. For me, that's going to be something that you kind of got to tone yourself down off of it. But at the same time, this car allows you to drive it so hard, it, it kind of invites you in to do it. Uh, and then, obviously, you go over that edge, and there's no recovering it. So, you know, it's going to be a really a fine, <coughs> fine balance to kind of learn and kind of understand where that balance is. And, you know, every racetrack, I think it's going to be different. On the road courses, you can really, really push this car hard, where on the ovals, maybe not as much. And, you know, some ovals might be more than others. So there's definitely going to be a lot of characteristics to learn about this car. But, you know, that's the exciting thing, I think, especially for me as a, a relatively inexperienced guy coming in against guys that have a lot of experience. You guys, during the course of this offseason in December, announced a new partnership with Mahindra, and it looks good, it looks solid. And they've even participated with your Chili Bowl car, with your short track stuff. Bringing a new partner into the sport and having them, something, having them embrace something that's passion to you, what's that been like? Yeah, it's been huge. You know, to have somebody like Mahindra is something that's, that's really big for me, right? You know, having a multi-year deal as a young guy, especially, is really nice to have, you know, just to have that security. And, you know, obviously, like we were talking earlier, you know, the results last year, my rookie year, weren't what I wanted and now to have somebody that I know believes in me and trusts me for the next couple of years is really nice to have and then also like you said having them on my chili bowl car they're gonna not only do the chili bowl I'm gonna try to run 20-25 dirt races this coming year and, and they want to be a huge part of that as well so it's nice to to have a partner that wants to go and, and give back to the grassroots level as well as the NASCAR stuff and sees the benefit in both so uh, hopefully we can keep selling them a lot of tractors and they can be around for a long time to come. You mentioned 2025 short track races, midgets, sprint cars. What's what's the game plan right now? Yeah, a little bit of everything. You know, non-wing sprint car, wing sprint car, midget. I try to run a dirt late model five, six, seven times. So kind of whatever I can, you know, even even looking at getting another uh, micro sprinter run out of Millbridge. Might try to run a pavement late model race or two. I've never done that before. So trying to just run as much as I can. I feel like the more I, I race, the better I, I, I can be. So, yeah, we'll see. You know, I don't have a, a schedule necessarily locked in yet, but definitely have a lot of races that I'd like to go run. Finally, you and Marissa, um, you obviously went through an amazing period of time over the last couple of years. Um, how are mom? How are the baby? Everything? Yeah. The, the How are things there? Yeah, it's awesome. He's just growing like crazy. You know, it, it's unbelievable how much he keeps growing. I was gone, obviously, for a week for Chili Bowl, and I come back and looks like he's twice the size now and he's way more alert and doing way more things so yeah mom and baby are good he uh you know he'll be walking it seems like in a couple days i mean obviously he's still months away from that but just how fast he's growing already it's it's unbelievable how fast time goes now so yeah excited to get into the racetrack he's, he's not been yet so I'm, i think the 500 is going to be his first one so that'll be really cool coming up we'll look at the rest of the 2022 nascar hall of fame class Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the headliner of this year's NASCAR Hall of Fame induction ceremony coming up Friday night. But there are legends to be inducted as well, including... Red Farmer and Mike Stefanik. Let's take a look back at their storied careers. 
On Friday, January 21st, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mike Stefanik, and Red Farmer will all be formally inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. While Earnhardt likely will dominate the headlines for the 2021 class, the two men joining him made their own lasting impacts on NASCAR. Atop the list of all-time NASCAR championships with nine sit two individuals, NASCAR Hall of Famer Richie Evans and Mike Stefanik. Like Evans, Stefanik is best known for his prowess on the Modified Tour. Stefanik ran his first full-time modified season in 1987, and he won his first championship in 1989. Stefanik would win the title again in 1991. He's won in Richmond, Virginia, Loudoun, New Hampshire, Martinsville earlier this year, Jennerstown, Pennsylvania, and again in Martinsville, Mike Stefanik, the NASCAR Winston Modified Tour champion, cementing this dominating season with yet another victory as the curtain falls on the 1991 year. Stefanik's success in the 90s would continue, winning the Modified Tour Championship in both 1997 and 1998. He would win the North Series title in both seasons as well. One more time around, and Mike Stefanik visits victory lane. He's back in one. Stefanik clears the car of Gary Myers. We're closing on Charlie Passriak next, and Randy Hedger as he makes his way off turn two. Those cars see him coming, drop down to the inside, give him plenty of racing room as Mike Stefanik's on his way to the win. In total, Stefanik would win 74 modified races, including 23 victories during his dominant stretch in the late 90s. In 2003, Stefanik was named one of the Modified Tour's 10 greatest drivers. He holds the all-time series record in wins, polls, top fives, and top tens. The National Sportsman Champion of NASCAR from Hueytown, Alabama, in the long Lewis Ford Red Farmer. As for statistics, it's more difficult to be precise when it comes to Red Farmer. Part of the original Alabama gang, Farmer's exact win count is unknown, but it's generally agreed to be more than 700 and counting. Named in 1998 as one of the 50 greatest drivers in NASCAR's first 50 years, Farmer's immeasurable passion for the sport has kept him racing for decades, even as he approaches 90 years of age. Farmer first became a part of what is known as the Alabama Gang when his friend and NASCAR Hall of Famer Bobby Allison moved from South Florida to Alabama and convinced Farmer to join forces with him. We started that deal because the three of us traveled together, we lived together, we raced together for years and years all through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. We always traveled together, kind of bumper to bumper, and we had pickup trucks, and I pulled mine with a station wagon because I had a family, and I, could, I hadn't needed more room. I had three kids. We were traveling. We was coming over the hill. Now, the people was down there buying pit passes and thing, and they looked up there, and I think they said it was Jack Ingram that looked up there and saw our three cars coming over the hill down the pit road. And he said, here comes that damn Alabama gang again. And that's the way it kind of started out. Somebody heard it, and a reporter heard it, and they put it in the paper the next day about the Alabama gang come over. We used to run three and four times a week. And Donnie said, that's, I think it's 62 or 63, something like that, that we had ran 104 races that year, and we won 86 of them. That We had something special, the three of us, and it won't be duplicated again. Farmer would later spend a period of time in NASCAR's top division, entering 36 races in the NASCAR Cup Series. His first was in 1953, and his last came in 1975. The record books reveal no victories, but he notched two top fives and three top ten finishes. At the time, no one doubted Farmer's talent to succeed in NASCAR's premier division, but top-level rides were scarce. Instead of wallowing in disappointment, Farmer made his name and his money racing at local short tracks. Farmer's first career race was in 1948. Now, at the age of 89, he still races regularly at the Talladega short track. During his 
his career, Farmer has raced against the patriarchs of some of NASCAR's greatest families, including Lee Petty and Ralph Earnhardt. His career longevity has even allowed him to race against modern-day NASCAR great Jeff Gordon. Farmer, like Stefanik, represents the many racers who never found fame on the NASCAR Cup Series, but still found a way to make a significant impact on the world of NASCAR racing. Thank you, Kurt, for that trip down memory lane. What careers they were. Folks, our time is up for this week. We'd like to thank Kevin Harvick for joining us. Also, our thanks to Eric Almarola and Chase Briscoe. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you for joining us as well here on NASCAR Live. We'll do it all again next week right here on the Motor Racing Network. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina. And was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast and you won't stink. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Henrian and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.